0: Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Areech Nord. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We also acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the lands you are hearing us from. It's funny how money changes situation. Miscommunication lead the complication. My emancipation, don't forget your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Samoan play young Lauren like she do remember, On today's Women on the Line, we hear a discussion between three CR Tuesday breakfast presenter, Ayan Shirwa and the incredible Juliana Huxtable. Juliana is a poet, DJ, model, academic, and performance artist. Her work explores gender. Race and socio-political issues. She's also the co-founder of Shock Value, a nightclub that fosters community and celebrates New York City's kaleidoscope nightlife. Juliana was in Melbourne for a show at the Night Cat, and she was in Hobart for Dark Mofo. The discussion begins with her explaining how she feels about her art being described as subversive.
1: I think, in the worst sense, that that can mean like, oh, you're the artist that we that fits like, you know, the the trends of like transness or sort of like you know, people want to kind of like check off a list of things that makes them feel like they've gotten their diversity marks. And so in the worst way, it can mean that um, for me, um, I don't know if I would describe what I do as necessarily subversive, but I would describe what I try to do in my work is just like bring, um, ask questions that are relevant to communities that I'm part of and how I'm navigating the world, but also try and make uh, highlight the fact that those questions are also relevant to everyone. And so sometimes maybe if it's kind of how like when people sometimes people will describe um, my work solely in terms of like gender and race. And I'm like, it does deal with those things. But like gender and race also implicate like like white people and they implicate like non trans or gender non-conforming people. And so I try and like highlight both sides of that so right. that it doesn't just become about my work being a kind of um, fetishized thing that's supposed to do something to something that exists outside of it. I'm like, it's just a different perspective, I yeah. guess.
2: Well, I'm... Um Another label that people have also attached to you because for some reason people think that it's okay to give you all these labels that you haven't asked for. But, um, but you've been described as a beacon of hope. How do you engage with being a possibility model which also, um, sorry, while also existing as you? So what do you think about you being described as a beacon of hope? Is it something that you, um, is it a description that you take on or...?
1: Um, well, I think that has, that has more to do with how other people see me and see my work, and so I'm honored if I'm honored that I can, if if that's how people engage with what I'm doing, I think that that's cool. I hope what I hope is that that can be seen as like a process and a sort of conversation. Um, because there were artists before me that I saw I kind of like at one point held them up and they inspired me to do what I'm doing and so I think it's like a conversation and I hope that it doesn't become this idea that there's like I statically exist outside of all of the systems and communities that like allowed me to be um, where I am Um, and so I'm honored that that people feel um, that way I also don't sometimes I don't I don't feel like my work should be responsible to that because I think that framing that in terms of responsibility, sometimes like that can happen where people are like, oh, people look up to you, so you have to be responsible to an idea that your work has to aspire towards like uh, a kind of like positive Mm -hmm. example or something. Um, And I don't, yeah, I I reject that because I think that that would end up me just making like I don't know, I feel like there are other people that are more suited to that, that are like public role models and that's like what their goal is to do. But I think I should feel room to, you know, deal with my own like problematic dynamics or to be, you know, whatever. And so I want to leave room for that to still happen.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, You mentioned, um, you kind of touched on um, how other artists have inspired you and that's our next question. Um, Which artists have inspired you and why?
1: maybe one or two I really like um, Coco Fusco's work really inspired me Um, I don't like the response that she did to the Hannah Black letter Um, there's a like the Whitney Biennial recently happened and um, it's a like survey of American art that happens every two years, and a lot of people and uh, pay have a lot of attention to it. And this woman, Dana Schultz, who does like kind of like like slightly figurative but mostly abstract paintings, did a painting of Emmett Till. Mm. Uh, Emmett Till, yeah. and um, Hannah, who's a friend of mine, wrote a letter protesting that, basically ba- demanding that it be um, removed and or destroyed um, because it's like obviously really problematic for a white artist to both depict like the most gruesome black body, like destruction of black body, one of the most like visible in American history, but also um, to abstract that. And so, but a lot of artists and a lot of artists that I look up to actually like lashed out against Hannah and like Coco was one of those people. So like, I don't know if I'm like Coco so much right now, but um, (laughs) a lot of her work really inspired me because I think she was able to, Navigate really urgent questions dealing with like colonialism, dealing with like like uh, like immigration, the sort of history of the United States and Puerto Rico and like the u s government in Puerto Rico, but was able to do it in a way that um, had a sense of humor but also was able to incorporate white people in their own, our whiteness and and white people in their own kind of like problematics. And so she did this performance where she and um, this artist, Guillermo Gomez Pena, and um, they both pretended to be natives. They made up a country. And they... um, would set up a cage in the middle of and they traveled across like cities and europe and this is in like maybe 1992 or 1993 and would just do the most absurd things like feed us bananas and like um people actually engage them and it was like and news news like stations were Mm. reporting on it as if like totally like the country does not exist these people (laughs) do not exist like the symbols even the way that they're dressing is obviously inconsistent it's like a native american ish reference like a problematic Native American reference with like a Josephine Baker skirt and people thought it was real and it was really funny and the response to it was really funny and I thought that and that's kind of like her work is able to be like humorous and like playful but also in like a really dark way that highlights um and so that's why I like her work um and she's also just I think she's brilliant um even though she's does really mm. s- fucked up things sometimes, um, and I like Zachary Drucker a lot. Um, she was she was one of the first artists that was dealing with uh, transness that I really c- looked up to, and she did uh, mostly performance. Um, and yeah, you just have to look at see her work. It's it's hard to describe, but yeah. I really I really like Zachary Drucker, um, and. Just two more things. Um, I love, um, like Marlon Riggs is one of my main inspirations. Tongues Untied, um, when I saw that film, it like changed my life, Mm because he deals, uses like poetry and text, but also is doing this kind of essayistic film that's like autobiographical. But what he was doing, um, similar, like, I guess for similar reasons, he's like talking about his like isolation simultaneously from the black community and like um, uh, during the height of the AIDS crisis and so feeling ostracized by virtue of his like blackness and his like uh, queerness, although I think he was thinking of it at the time in terms of gayness and Um, but also like the sort of like series of like false hopes and like a sort of radical like white community in San Francisco and so, but he's able to jump between these like diaristic moments Mm. and also really like kind of like beautifully like abstract that into like poetry and like, yeah, I think his work is really, um, it's really amazing.
0: On Community Radio Around Australia, you're listening to a discussion between 3CR Breakfast's Ayan Shidwa and multidisciplinary artist and DJ Juliana Huxtable on Women on the Line. Don't forget, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.
2: I like your top. And the reason um, I mention your top (laughs) is um, in uh, Bodies Beyond Nature, you talk about the ideas that people... Project onto your style, um, but in your own words, how would you describe your style, or how does it? Well, make my sense?
1: style is yeah, my style is always changing, but maybe my relation, my relationship to um, style or dressing is like, I mean, to me, it's a way of expressing. Um, it can express something as basic as like an insecurity or a need to feel like safe in my body, all, uh, up to like you know, an idea of how I relate to history or something. And so a lot of my work actually has been about, because I think it's really, I think it's a product of like sexism and homophobia, the way that a lot of like art um, institutions and art critics um, r- write about fashion as if fashion, as well, they equate style with fashion and then they dismiss it as if it's shallow and as if there's no intelligence behind that. and and. Write it off as kind of like second a secondary way to like right. deal with like whatever questions that an artist might want to deal with. But I think that style can be really intelligent and the nuance of like even just like a silhouette or like the way you combine things and how that's read and how that figures in different spaces and how people navigate the world or like directly influence the world through self-styling is I think, um, something that's really dynamic. And so I try that's how I. And I think like a lot of people are doing that, but mm. for me, especially the way that um, Black people have done that historically, um, and used dress as a way of challenging power structures, as a way of reclaiming power, as a oh. way of like um, denying um, the sort of like erasure through kind of like self-styling. And so, right. um, I think there's an interesting history that hasn't been treated um, with the attention that it
2: deserves. No, it hasn't because I know there's a lot of like um, black artists who make work um, through their fashion and their makeup and a lot of the times people use that as a way to undermine like their ra- their radicalness, if that's such a word. But yeah, um, so you performed um, at Dark Murpho in Hobart and Night Cat in Melbourne. Um uh, what interesting observations would you like to make about <laughs> your time in Australia? Um, this isn't to, like, necessarily say that, you know, for those of us who know, Australia is an interesting place, and you know. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> what are you, like, um, what's been your time? Like, how's your time been here? Um,
1: well, my time here has been nice because I think I've been introduced to really... Um, pleasant and dynamic people, so. And I, there's also, there are a few people that I kind of knew beforehand, and so, like, internet people that I then met. Um, So my time here has been nice. Um, I think, I was talking about this yesterday, yesterday actually, it's like, as an American, like, Australia doesn't really exist as something that you think of outside of just like, this like fantasy, it's like Outback Steakhouse, and like, you know, weird references, like weird kind of like references and like, like coded gay songs. And so it just like doesn't really, (laughs) the actual history of, or the idea of what Australia is as a place that has like a a long political history was kind of new to me. Um, The first time I really started to think about it was when I was in South Africa. because there's, I guess there's, there's a long history of like, like after apartheid, a lot of white South Africans moved to mm. um, Australia, and there's mm. also amongst white South Africans in I was I lived in Johannesburg, but the way that people would talk mm. about Australia was like, yeah. as the most ideal kind of place for that type of white person to go, because oh. if they go to Europe, then they're the white people who were responsible for apartheid, yeah. which is like kind of awkward. Um, <laughs> and so I think they feel this. And so Australia was kind of described as, and like was like a kind of, and I guess they had like more lax immigration laws or something. And so that was the first time that I really started to think about um, the history of Australia. Cause even in terms of like, being aware of like the history of colonialism and taking classes on that and really trying to inform myself on that Australia Mm. was kind of an absence. Um, When I got here, um, I think what was, what is like surprising, but I have to remind myself because it's very um, deceptively just like casually Western Mm -hmm. but like the kind of absence of like, or at least to me, just the absence of like, Conflict and colonial conflict in the sort of visual space around me. And so I was walking around and I was like, literally, all I see is like white people, and for the most part. And I was kind of surprised that I could just like walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk, and and like it's just white people. And so that's been surprising to me. Um, but I also have enough friends that kind of told me what to expect beforehand, right. so I'm not <laughs> shocked. And I have friends that have like toured, like I have friends that have toured here yep. before, so I had kind of a pretty decent idea of what to expect. Um, things are very gendered, <laughs> that's one thing that I think about a lot. Um, Can you tell us more? I think things are also racialized, but because there's just like so much white people, it's just like that just exists. Overwhelmingly. Yeah. Overwhel- but things are really heavily gendered. I've, I've, I've to me like just like hearing radio ads. Like the other day, I heard, or seeing like YouTube ads, like and stuff like that. There's yeah. just like, all of these things that I'm seeing, and it's like men. It kind of reminds me of Texas. Um, <laughs> it's like men and pickup trucks, and like I heard uh, there was a commercial on the radio, and this car I was in the other day where it was like this male voice got on the radio and was like. Like, are you the girl that like that doesn't know if she should have taken Plan B after last night? And I was like, whoa, this is really next level. (laughs) Just to casually have (laughs) on the radio is really intense. Mm. Um, But yeah, things feel very like.
2: Twilight. Agro
1: and binary.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, we still we still haven't gotten used to it. women's on the (laughs) line. Oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. So, for many of us um, young bl- black folks who have not necessarily had access to the community we have now, um, the internet has been our solace and, um, and our solitude to some degree. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, the potential, um, the internet's potential to create community and to um, bring people together that may not have had that opportunity?
1: um well i wouldn't be here if that if that wasn't the case because i was at one point i'm not so active anymore but i was like a tumblr pr- i was oh, like a tumblr baby that passed me. yeah yeah <laughs> and i spent all of my time and that's kind of how i discovered um basically i had a day job and i just was on tumblr all day and that's kind of how i started everything and so i would write about other people's work or like share other people's work whether that be like um, like, DJs and producers or, like, writers or whatever, and, like, kind of through the process of establishing community around the things that I appreciated, it also made me feel comfortable making my Mm. own kind of contributions. And so it kind of became me sharing other people's work, me writing that work, realizing my responses and reflections on other people's work are also kind of their own things, and that's kind of how how I discovered a lot of what I do Um, and I grew up in like a really small conservative town and so the internet was like all I really had growing up and so that's that's always been the case for me like I was on LiveJournal, Zanga, MySpace like any sort of like GeoCities like Yahoo Groups like all of that's I, I was a part of a lot of different Um, online kind of communities at the same time that's how I found out about my school that that's how I found out about Bard when I went to Bard that's how I knew the history of like New York and nightlife I found all of that like Mm. um, through kind of online communities in one way or another and so I think everything that I've done is basically a product Mm. of that
2: just thinking about all the positive things that have happened for you um, via the internet. Well, like well, like what negative things have happened and how have you dealt with that and how are you still dealing with it in terms of how it exposes you and everyone thinking they can consume you and all that.
1: Um, I think that so that's sometimes people don't realize that like visibility in terms of visibility and circulation in terms of numbers doesn't translate to necessarily such a dramatically different impact on someone's life. And so there's con- there's times in which like like 2 years ago where I, I you know, I would do a gig at a college or something and I'm like you all exist like I'm on Tumblr but I also live in the city. Like you're you're all just on Tumblr. Yeah. And like your idea of like what I am or how I relate to you uh, is like, there's like a power dynamic that you're creating that doesn't exist there, like I'm still broke, I'm still (laughs) like, you know what I mean? There's like a a lot of things that I'm still struggling, I'm still just like trying to like figure out what I'm doing with my life as like a 25 year old and like sometimes I think the um, idea of visibility or like how widely someone's image or work or whatever is circulated can seem, can make people forget that. and so I guess that's one downside. Um, or not necessarily a downside, it's just an aspect because it's, there's reasons why that exists I and mean, right, they're not yeah. all, it's not terrible that that happens. I think it's just like people are like misunderstanding. Um, and yeah, the desire to consume someone. I a lot of my work in the past two years has been reacting against that because um, like especially after the, like, I kind of already felt that way in a small way, in like, night and in, in certain types of nightlife. Like, I worked really heavily in um, gay nightlife for a while, and I didn't like the way that generally um, women are treated in gay nightlife, uh, um, and especially trans women, where it's just like people sometimes, sometimes I felt like people I was there for entertainment, like, I'm an accessory to a culture that does not necessarily catering to me. Even though I'm like glad that I'm being supported and whatever but I was like hosting parties and I just started to DJ and I felt like I'm providing entertainment or decoration for something but that was on a smaller level. But I really hated after the Triennial um, the way that it created, that sculpture in particular created a demand For my body and to consume my body and an idea of my body. And um, just a side note, I didn't even like I don't speak to the sculptor who made that anymore Mm. because like I agreed to do that, like I had no idea of like my self worth or what was going on. So I got paid like next to nothing to be in that sculpture, and I'm glad that it exists and it's cool. But there was a lot going on at that time that I was felt very out here. But like all of a sudden I have like triple the amount of attention that I have. Yeah. And when I go places, people are like, I saw you naked. Someone shouting that on the street oh. or like going somewhere and like mm. that's what people want to talk about is like my body and, the, and or me, even just translating that to like, my physical presence somewhere being, and I'm like, that's not what my work is about. That's not what I do, but that kind of engendered that. And so I kind of, a lot of the work that I've made since then has been about how can I deal with that dynamic in a way that allows me to abstract myself, even if just right now, strategically, um, but like still make work about what I want to make because I didn't want to get to a point where it's like, if I am not physically either present yeah. or visually marked, even though obviously I, I chose to do self-portraiture, I felt like it was important for me to disalign myself with like allowing myself to be consumed. And so yeah. my response to that has been a lot of the work that I've been doing since then. Right, right. And I'm very thankful in that I think that I've been able to, like to a certain degree, been able to navigate a career since then. And like I've made a lot of work Um, the show that I just did, uh, the only appearance that I have is like my lips in a video, but there's no, you don't see me at all. And I've started using, like, I made a video piece. I made a video that was like all like my friends that that were like reciting or like, you know, I translated my text to a a screenplay and made a video. And so in some ways it's kind of productive also, but Mm -hmm. I definitely did not like that. The desire for consumption was really... um, Mm problematic to me.
2: And creepy.
1: Yeah, and it was really creepy to have people say things like that or to have someone hit on you at a bar based on a sculpture. It was like, oh, this is awkward. Yeah, that's so messy. Yeah.
0: We just heard from Juliana Huxtable, ending on the idea that people feel entitled to her body and person as an artist with a robust social media presence. If you want to check out some of Juliana's mixes, jump on her SoundCloud page. You will not be disappointed. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's national women's current affairs programs. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenonthelion at gmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Le Tigre. And the feature song for today's episode of Women on the Line is Lost One by the incomparable Lauren Hill. Thank you so much for listening in. I'm a Nord and I hope you can tune in again next time. Can't take a threat to me, no one's on. Hell, this way sense creation. A groupy call you far from temptation. Now you want over separation. Tarnish my image in the conversation. Who you gon' scrimmage like you the champion? You might win some, but you just lost one. You might win some, but you just lost one. You might win some.